we need to have a much clearer understanding of how nuclear as a whole is engaged with civil society and what has shaped civil society's views of nuclear. And we're still talking about this 60 years after the first reactor, so it's an ongoing issue. Why this debate has been so controversial and also so irreconcilable, if you like, that, that's intellectually extremely interesting because it tells us a lot about how societies work, how industry and, uh, and scientists relate with society. We are social scientists rely on the historians' knowledge they produce, the data they will detect. point of view was was first to investigate this uh, geopolitical conflict because nuclear energy is a hundred percent political. My interest in this honest project is the huge significance of nuclear power since World War II and the relative weakness of the writing of its history. I don't think, I'm not sure, but I don't think has ever been an historical project of this dimension with so many countries involved and so many historians working together. Welcome to the Honest Podcast the research project on the history of nuclear energy and society. I'm your host, Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, and we kick off this inaugural edition of the program by hearing from some of the many voices as they explain the goals of the project, some background on their own work, and how it all connects with Honest, eventually leading to how they will achieve those goals. We start today with the goals of the project, in what will be a three-year quest and involving an all-star international cast of interdisciplinary researchers. My name's John Whitten. I lead the energy group at the University of Central Lancashire in Preston, UK. I'm an environmental scientist by first degree. I'm a civil engineer by master's degree and a social scientist by PhD. I'm Jan-Hendrik Meyer. I'm uh, working at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. And uh, I'm a historian by training, but I've also a strong background in the social sciences. So my name is Wilfried Konrad. Um, I'm a sociologist by profession. And I'm a researcher at Dialogic um, Research Institute, which is based in Stuttgart in Germany. My name is Carl Erik Mikkelsen, also known as Kalle in, in most cases. I come from Finland. My uh, university is Lappeenranta University of Technology. My name is Robert Budd. I'm a research keeper at the Science Museum in London, which is one of the great science museums of the world. I'm Dr. Mar Rubio. I'm an economist, energy economist and economic historian. Uh, I work at Public University of Navarra in Spain. I am Josep Niubo and I work at the Universidad Pompeu Fabra. And 
I am the project manager of uh, Honest. On one side, there were the, let's say, geographical idea. We wanted all to get the uh, a good representation of the nuclear um, wall, at least in Europe. And on the other side, uh, there were like the research um, uh, criteria. That's why, for example, from the United Kingdom, there are four partners or from Spain, there are four partners as well, because uh, there were some scholars that are um, really uh, excellent and we don't want uh, to miss them in our consortium. I think there's two, let's say two main goals. One is to advance knowledge in this area. We need to have a much clearer understanding of how nuclear as a whole is engaged with civil society and what has shaped civil society's views of nuclear. And we're still talking about this 60 years after the first reactor, so it's an ongoing issue. Uh, And we, I think, are testing such themes as terms like social acceptance, uh, consent, Mm -hmm. fairness, equity, reciprocity I talked about. We're testing some of these academic themes. Now, why does it matter? Well, we have an ongoing relationship, whether it's through the media, whether it's through academia, with nuclear energy, nuclear power, nuclear as a medical source, for example. We have an ongoing relationship, and it's, it's to try and untangle that complex relationship with civil society. I'm really interested in seeing how we can understand technical decisions and care, minutely document technical decisions in terms of awareness, concern about public attitudes. Um, I think we can do it, but the work remains to be done. Mm. The second aspect is to look at nuclear power within the broader context of electricity demand. Um, That typically nuclear power has been taken as a thing in itself, but of course it's only one part of of the mix of electricity provision. And to me, I think we can get much more interesting broader uh, perspectives by looking at the public demand for electricity and the public uh, acceptance of different forms of electricity supply most recently of course with global warming coal has ceased to be um, a particularly acceptable source of um, supply but Equally, we know that for the last 20 years, electricity supply uh, demand, which had grown since the 1860s, has actually been flatlining in Britain, at least, and not been as large as expected elsewhere. So what are the consequences of that perspective for our understanding both of um, the technical but also the public attitudes to nuclear power? And it's also, I think it's a unique in the sense that we are focusing now, really for the first time, this, this interaction between civil society and nuclear industries. And it is something that has persisted for almost the beginning of the civilian use of nuclear energy. There are people who are opposing nuclear energy, there are fears, they have big risks, and then you have a strong promotional organizations, engineering organizations, utilities, government, political parties. And strangely enough, this this conflict, this tension, just 
keeps staying in the it's almost like a stamp that has been attached mm. to nuclear energy and whenever there is a new nuclear power program or a project introduced immediately you have this if something happens even if it's not uh, serious these same you know strong uh, voices rise up and 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 the conflict is there what is it that in in different countries the public has such different perceptions and such different engagement traditions on nuclear energy. Why, why um, are in Germany and nuclear energy is uh, opposed and why in France not or not, not, so, uh, not so strongly as in Germany or in Sweden? Yeah? So, so I, what, is, what is the reason behind these national uh, differences and similarities in, in uh, order in engaging and in perceiving uh, nuclear technologies? That's that's what we are what we'll be delving into. I mean, it's the the engineers' mindset or the uh, people also have a stake in this. If you're employed for a uh, for a company that produces uh, things in the nuclear sector, uh, you might have different interests, different attitudes, different identity also, because it's ultimately the controversy also creates group identities. Um, Then if you're somebody who's who might know a lot, but also people who might know little but have a lot of suspicion vis-a-vis -vis, also depending on how they've been treated by governments and companies so far. Mm -hmm. And um there are it's it's it, that's really the fascinating thing. It's the complexity which we'll get through the international comparison through the uh, transnational relations and it's it's really that the these 20 or 21 country cases that we'll have is that's an amazing resource to 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 study the variety of things that's really fascinating and that's that's why i'm so happy to be on this project because there will be tons of little things to find out but also interesting grand lines to pursue I mean, in, in pure sciences, they are very used to have very large consortiums. Mm -hmm. If you think of the DNA uh, world effort, it's a whole world effort with hundreds of institutions involved. In social sciences, it's less common, and in history in particular, it's very uncommon. Historians tend to work on their own. They tell history of their own business, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. They don't tend to collaborate. And I think one of the major uh, things about Honest is that we got historians to collaborate, and they are willing to. And I think that's good news because history is never uh, isolated mm -hmm. um, and shouldn't be. And trying to get people that normally work with their own sources and their own archives and their own little history of whatever to talk to other historians, being willing to write together. Um, I think that's very important uh, yeah. for, for what Honest will bring. But mm -hmm. in, I don't think it has ever been a, a historical project of this magnitude. And this project, first time, really tackles the phenomena. Can we actually find, looking at the historical record, can we find some patterns mm. that explain why this conflict, social conflict, builds up? As academics, we seek to understand complexity and, and detangle complexity, for want of a better word. When, when we're dealing with social systems, yeah. we're dealing with humans. So inevitably, you see tremendous variability between those systems. So what we want to do is to bring out some quite 
clear messages. For example, in countries where the politics have changed over a period of time, we may see human behaviour change and the types of engagement change simply because of these external factors, these politics that are going on in countries. Uh, Somewhere like the UK, we've always had a reasonably democratic system of engagement, but we have seen changes in the law, changes in the planning system, for example. The engagement events may have changed over time. What, what are the conveners of these events trying to get out of those that they convene? So I think we will have complexity, no doubt about that, where humans are involved, it's inevitable. But making sense of that complexity and seeing patterns emerge within that complexity. I talked earlier about these themes of fairness, mm -hmm. of equity, of when we talk about engagement, let's not talk so much about process, let's talk a little bit more about principles. So when we engage with people, what can they fairly expect in terms of fairness? Can they expect a level of reciprocity? So if you convene an event, you ask people for their views, it's not entirely unreasonable to then demonstrate how those views have been taken into account. The challenge is really how to get people interested uh, because there are a million pieces of information out there on everything and anything. Uh, why should you... Um, spend the next half an hour thinking about what people find out about the relations of nuclear energy and society if you can also spend it on your playstation or watch a film or whatever well this project is i would say a bit exceptional in in the meaning that it's got 23 different partners which is something uh far bigger than the average these uh, these 23 uh, partners come from 14 different countries so it's pretty much uh, half of the European Union plus uh, Russia. If I'm not mistaken, uh, over all these institutions, there will be around 50 researchers involved in the activities, which uh, it's quite a lot. Interesting thing with nuclear power is, of course, that people do care in huge numbers. Mm -hmm. And one of the benefits of studying nuclear power is that you're starting at a space where people care, either because they're enthusiastic and optimistic about a, a low-carbon uh, energy source, or they're frightened about either uh, catastrophic safety or leakages. But one of the benefits of studying nuclear power, as opposed to other topics, is that we're starting at a place where people do care. have uh, universities, we've got museums, which is uh, very interesting because they give a very different insight of the project, as well as they are very helpful uh, when it comes to the dissemination. Uh, they can, for example, organize uh, exhibitions, which uh, no one else can do, and this uh, will be very helpful to reach a broad audience of, of people that may not be maybe that interested in, in, nuclear, in nuclear energy. We also have uh, research centers, 
we have uh, SMEs, small and medium companies. Uh, we have a communication company. I think that's pretty much it. Uh, we have been working in uh, the history of nuclear energy since as far as 2008, as I can remember. So a group of us, uh, starting with Albert Press as the coordinator, uh, we began seeing each other almost on a regular basis every year. Uh, we all did uh, uh, parts of the national histories of nuclear with from different aspects. I mean, in case of Albert and me, he was interested on in the technological science transfer to Spain through the 50s and 60s. I'm more interested on how it was paid, how who paid for the nuclear programs in Spain, how the industry got organized about nuclear, because I'm an economist. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the same sense that Albert and me, we had an interest in nuclear history of Spain. There were other researchers across Europe doing different aspects of the national histories. So when we have been talking together before, honest, we realized there were some common figures across the country, some stories that despite the difference in the national histories were common traces, if you wish. So from very early, Albert had on his mind that we needed uh, something bigger than national histories, that we need a European um, kind of history, pan-European history of nuclear energy. And then the call came out. And therefore, we basically call on all the people that we have been collaborating with, listening to. And then, of course, they also have people they knew that might be interested. And then it was just a matter of very good chance that in the info day in Brussels happened to be John Witten and Henry Mayer, which was the part that was missing from our team because we have the historians that we have met. But uh, they called Carl Ask for sociologist analysis on, on the history of nuclear energy society. Uh, I came across to nuclear energy some 10 years ago, and we investigated the, there are two nuclear power stations at this time in Finland. And because of Finnish geopolitical situation between East and West, we have the Eastern reactor and then we have the Western reactor. The Eastern reactor is the only Soviet-made reactor on the so-called Western hemisphere. Hmm. And then we have the Eastern react, uh, Western reactor that came to Finland from Sweden to balance this geopolitical situation. And we got interested in this Eastern reactor that was purchased from Soviet Union in uh, late 1960s. And the, and the power station was built in 1970s and started to operate in, in 1980s. It still works. And this brought me into the nuclear studies. And my uh, point of view was, was first to investigate this uh, geopolitical conflict because nuclear energy is 100% uh, political. So I've always worked within the energy industry and then became an academic after a PhD, a mid-career academic. So I've always worked within energy as an industry. Uh, we look at energy communities. So we work with a lot of communities who are based next to energy facilities or energy infrastructure, and we talk to them about their perceptions and sustainability. How can they become a sustainable community? And of course, by doing that, we use a lot of engagement techniques and facilitation techniques. Mm. And we turn that into academic research on themes such as equity and fairness within engagement. Um, I came to the project by the via the route of, of European integration history, I looked at the history of the emergence of the European Union, so back then the European Community's environmental policy, 
And my interest was in the networks of the transnational cooperation of different kinds of actors in how they shaped and contributed to the emergence of environmental policy. And in the context of that, I looked at birds protection, but I also stumbled across the case of transnational networks of anti-nuclear activists. Those anti-nuclear activists Many of them, I mean, some of them actually worked for uh, for European institutions. Um, those were people who, young people at the time in the 1970s, who looked, um, who had a positive view of, of uh, they were left-wing, but they still had a positive view uh, of European integration. And they got together and brought the message from the national level um, to uh, to Europe. So they were actually challenging the commission. If you have this, these great, uh, ambitious nuclear uh, programs. How do you justify that if in all the national countries there is so much um, frustration with nuclear energy and so much uh, suspicion? And say they actually managed to convince, after having organized their own workshops challenging the commission, they actually managed to convince the commu uh, commissioner back then um, Guido Brunner in the 1970s to hold a big engagement event. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, when the call came in, um, I realized, okay, this is exactly what you've worked on because it's history, it's engagement, it's, um, nuclear energy as a challenged, uh, as a challenging topic within societies. So I went, um, uh, my my colleagues had actually alerted me to the call, and I went to Brussels uh, for when they actually explained the call. There was a there was a public event for the for research uh, for the researchers who are interested in submitting applications, and this is where I met Albert and Ma and uh, and uh, John Witten, I think, also um, and. Uh, the, the team actually built from there. So it's, it was really by happenstance that I came into this community and we bonded quite nicely and it, uh, we formed a core team very quickly and that, that has been very, very constructive and very productive. Um, Dialogic is a uh, non-profit research institute focused on communication and cooperation uh, research and um, our main focus on of research is um, risk governance and um, moderating and researching in situations of conflicts about new technologies and risks. As a historian, I began my interest uh, with a concern with relatively recent years. So my, although I'm a historian, my interest has always been in how can we integrate history with the broader field of what's now called science technology studies. As a museum curator and professional, my interest is in how can we provide a history which the public can say, this is a history of my world rather than a history of a world which they see through a glass window, so to speak, um, or alien world. And to me, our challenge is to write a history, is to construct a version of nuclear power such that it does seem recognizable and part of the public's world, which of course it is, mm. rather than an alien creation done by strange people in white coats on the other side of a glass window. Well, the goal in the first place is to, to create an, uh, knowledge um, about the nuclear history in, in more than 20 
countries uh, covering the European Union, but also uh, the US and Russia. And this is the first time in, in uh, history of social science and uh, of history of um, a a nuclear energy history that such a broad, such a broad concept or such a broad approach will uh, be applied to uh, nuclear energy. Up to now, we only have um, we have um, country accounts on nuclear energy, um, but we have no systematic knowledge about how um, nuclear developments, uh, how nuclear nuclear technology uh, evolved in, in different countries, and how public the public views were on these uh, were on these uh, nuclear developments. There is a thing of my own research agenda that has to do, as I said, with economic history and energy history, um, and about the cost and the financing of nuclear energy in Europe and how that went across, because this thing cost money and it was financed different ways in different countries. And the industry took decisions over whether to build more or stop building at different places. And that's kind of my part of curiosity, my, my part, if you wish, my academic um, interest. But then there is a second part, which is an, an extremely uh, anxious, not, anxious not the word, curious and excited about the sociologists on board, because they asked different questions I had never asked myself about my own research and listening to what they have to say and, and seeing how they interpret the things that historians will tell. To me, it's actually one of the most fascinating things I had because I had never come across uh, sociologists. I never worked with sociologists before. I've worked with economists and historians of different kinds, but not come across that border of social science. And um, that's extremely exciting. Among the goals of Honest, there is an often mentioned essential element of engagement with civil society. Next up, we will hear from the researchers, in their own words, about what this engagement entails and how they will engage with the institutions and the public in both the national and transnational context. There is a change is happening. Uh, the top-down decisions are not the best, uh, will not lead to the best available outcomes. So there's a change, and I think um, this change is also rec recognizable in, in nuclear energies, in nuclear developments. Uh, especially in Germany, we have we have a, a strong, a strong public influence on, on nuclear energies. I, I guess the the phase out in Germany of um, the decision to to close down all nuclear power plants um, is only possible because we had such a strong public or public opposition against against nuclear energy in, in other countries uh, this is um, 
it's diverse. It's, um, uh, other countries have different traditions. But in Germany, you can see um, how strong the influence of the public can be. And I think if polit politicians or policymakers or the industry will not take care of public um, perceptions, they run into, they run into blockage, uh, blockades. Huh? Yeah, they will take decisions that uh, will be mis uh, misinvestments. Huh? I would define engagement in terms of Uh, the relationship between um, policymakers, businesses, and society. And that relationship is a mutual one. It can be that citizens are actually challenging or asking for explanations, um, that they go out to the policymakers by protesting, by politely writing letters, mm. by uh, going to meetings, uh, or, and that's That's another very common experience is that it's actually businesses um, uh, and policymakers who go out and if they see this is a, a problematic topic or this is a, pub, uh, a topic that requires information, their engagement is a way of going out to the public, discussing with people, trying to uh, talk to them in order to raise transparency mm. and um, and uh, persuasion. Well, Finland is, is a very exceptional case because like, because of the political pressures in 60s and 70s, the first reactor had to come from East. That was political necessity. So it was taken from Soviet Union and refined, remodeled, redesigned. So it became Western standard Soviet reactor. And even the name was interesting because it became called Eastinghouse. Coming out of the name of Westinghouse, that was the, the provider of the safety mechanisms that were built into this Soviet reactor. And you might imagine this all taking place in the heat of the, of the Cold War. And in Finland, they are building a nuclear power station where the reactor is the Soviet reactor safety technology comes from the West, from America, and is put in the same box. And it is so exceptional that only the second similar collaborative project between Soviet Union and United States took, took place in space. I'm interested in how these categories such as nuclear power exist in the public sphere, not among scientific experts, but What, how do people talk about it in the pub? Mm -hmm. And we should start, in my opinion, with the way in which the public think about it and then ask ourselves how the various factors, both technical and sociological, have uh, combined to lead to that. The benefit of that approach is that when the public engage with that his kind of history, the key aspect is where they are, that is, with their talk, their public talk about it. Mm. And we can then lead them on a journey from their starting point, from their opinions to technical decisions, to the long-term changes. But all this is rooted in the public talk about nuclear power. Yeah. And that's what to me is the core issue and should be the spur to writing complex histories, which of course include technological, industrial, business aspects. And we this leads us to an awareness of how much technological decisions were taken with an eye to public 
uh, to public attitudes. Public attitudes have always been very close to the concerns of politicians and industry. They've had to be because the public, the industry and the uh, politicians have known that if the public won't accept nuclear power, then it won't happen. So there's always been either an actual public engagement or an imagined public engagement. Engagement with what the power uh, powerful thought the public would want. And we need to take that well into account. Denmark is an interesting case because there actually the protest of nu against nuclear power led to the development of um, alternative energies. So um, the organization about the uh, about the enlightenment of people about nuclear uh, nuclear power uh, also laid the foundations for uh, the renewables energies campaign internationally they actually co-funded it with the the uh, anti-nuclear sun the, the the sun symbol that you probably all know but there were also a lot of tinkerers and little uh, activists um, small-scale activists who actually designed windmills and the the power uh, and the, the importance of the danish um, windmill uh companies nowadays has and and, and the, the commercial uh, relevance is actually an indirect product or a direct product if you like of the anti-nuclear movement and that's actually an interesting story to tell apart from the the story of of it it is a very it's a very interesting result but it's also a very interesting way of engaging with it by demonstrating that there are alternatives you may well engage people but you're as in the uk you're not asking them to give you permission you already have permission but as a company an industry a government you don't particularly want to upset your customers or those who vote for you so it's a balance between the two in other countries you're right decisions are just taken but then you see in some countries japan being a case in point after fukushima you see a rise in a protest movement against that type of approach so what are the actions in terms of engagement with civil society, but then what are the consequences of that pattern of engagement, that type of engagement? And I think that's where the complexity comes in, that we have to then try and draw common themes from all these countries. Is there a commonality between these countries, for example? Or are we seeing that the type of democracy that they have dictates the type of engagement that they have? These are questions that we'll try to answer. Yeah, everybody has perceptions, uh, and perceptions helps us to make sense of reality. Yeah? Um, we, we, we need perceptions because we can't, in every situation, we can think about how we will perceive the situation, how we will evaluate it. We will only, in, 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 in when big decisions, huge decisions take place, for example, um, Uh, buying a house or so, then you will not rely on perceptions. Then you will take uh, calculations. You will you will think in economic terms. But um, if you if you are exposed to risk, yeah, then you need and you have not complete knowledge um, to evaluate what what the risk is about or what the technology is about. Then you need then you need straightforward mental procedures to to be able to to make sense of it, of, of a risk or of a technology. Methodologically, we are doing a really interesting, difficult thing. By combining different disciplines, we are not only moving forward the history of nuclear power, 
but we are moving forward the history of, of recent science and technology. Because the, the way in which we write about recent science and technology ought in principle to take account both of history and STS. But there have been relatively few case studies in which in practice that has been done, certainly not on the scale which we are envisaging. And I think that this will have much broader implications for the way historical change um, in science technology is understood. Um, and I think that that is both the greatest challenge and the greatest benefit of this project. The, uh, nuclear energy is interesting thing because it's almost all the nuclear power projects have been the biggest industrial projects in those countries. So they contain a lot of national pride. It's it's a also kind of a phenomenon of modernity. It's a modern shown that the, you you you're very mature in terms of science and technology. You're able to build very sophisticated technologies. So this is also historians have picked this up as a kind of studying it as a national uh, enterprise and, and how this, this all came about. But simultaneously, we see that nuclear energy has always been transnational. It has been governed by transnational organization, trafficking of, of enriched uranium, all the difficult international legal systems, and then disposing uh, nuclear waste. And, and then if something happens someplace like the Three Mile Island, then the Chernobyl accident immediately caused this global uh, alarm, not to mention the military uh, side dimension of this, this whole thing. So it's, it's, it's almost like a kind of a paradox, schizophrenic thing that people think is it's a local and it's our national decision making on this, but simultaneously they're so highly related to the transnational uh, organizations and, and, and agreements. As you can no doubt tell by now, the questions brought forth by the Honest Project are broad and complex, with far-reaching impact within society. But the researchers themselves are up for the challenge through both their approach to these questions and in terms of the methods they will use in their areas of research. I think that's the exciting part of the project is we are leaping into the unknown into some, in some respects. Uh, the interdisciplinary aspects, so the, the historians and the social science, we have to work together as people and methodologically we have to understand each other and translate each other's work. Uh, I'm also excited about the, the variability between countries. So we are looking at not just nuclear development from a historical perspective, not just the development of technology, we're looking about the development of society and how society's changed over a 50-60 year period. What have been the main interactions between nuclear, and I say that as a very broad subject and society uh, how has that changed within countries can we even compare countries when it comes to public interactions and public attitudes i don't know if we can and that's part of the exciting part of the project i will be uh, as i said in charge of working package three which is where historians and sociologists meet this is a, a project with two souls and we have to make sure that they understand each other they come from different academic cultures they speak in, a, in several ways in different languages mm -hmm. so my job is to bridge and to translate and to make sure that when we speak we 
understand each other, that the interest of uh, of both groups are aligned towards the, the means and the ends of the of the project, what the commission had actually asked from us. So I'm basically the linking person in that sense. What I will do is that I will get the experts together. I will organize a meeting in Copenhagen to to get everybody on board who's knowledgeable and have an exchange about this so I can actually benefit from all the expertise that's out there. That's one of the strategies of this project, trying to get as much information and as much expertise uh, into into our common uh, enterprise. I mean, this is an academic project and scholarly project at the same time, so we are actually contributing to an ongoing debate on engagement on nuclear history and we are we're uh, contributing to that debate and we're inserting interesting information so um, I will facilitate help to set up workshops, panels at conferences we'll actually have first two panels at the European Social Science History Conference in Valencia next year that have already been accepted um, that will lead to common publications so we're actually contributing to European um, scholarly academic excellence with this project as well as we're answering um, the question issued by the call and then we're of course also disseminating the information to the broader public via uh, explanatory videos via uh, our website we'll get knowledge on how people engage with um, with uh, technologies and this um it will be knowledge that could be transferred to other to other technology areas. Yeah, so we can we can produce findings which are useful for policymakers how to engage with with people uh, and um, how to take people serious. Yeah, how to take people's concerns, people's perceptions serious, and not just thinking on only from an engineering um, point of view. Yeah, the other thing that I'm doing is um, to continue on with my previous work on transnational anti-nuclear or transnational social movements to see how they how anti-nuclear activists have uh, cooperated in um, and exchanged information brought information from one place to the other have transferred information and have transferred also protest strategies so that we are overcoming the the sort of the, the national perspective on this and see that it's this is much more interrelated also the business were of course interrelated mm -hmm. but uh, civil society was interrelated too well we rely on the historians of course to generate historical data, historical facts, but also to contextualize those facts. So we, as social scientists, have established a guiding framework and research questions that let the historians know the type of information we're interested in. Mm -hmm. So it is this uh, engagement events. Is there any interviews with people who were key players at the time? And we'll probably do some interviews anyway. But it's actually, we, we want historians to understand where we're coming from, and they will do the same. There's, there's a very... A uh, good system within the project of helping us all to understand each other. The history has typically been written from a technical point of view, and yet we know that there is huge public interest. So, my concern is how do we write a history 
of nuclear power, which starts with the public interest, but also includes the technical aspects, rather than starting with the technical aspects and having the public engagement as a sort of add-on. This is interesting because now I think for the first time we're able to look at this this nuclear phenomena, what it actually means in in the whole European context and even beyond European borders. The Honest Podcast was produced with help from Jan Heinrich Meyer and SPI. The website for more information and where you can find this and future episodes is honest2020.eu. You can find us under that same name on Facebook or on Twitter, honest underscore 2020. Music on today's podcast was by Chad Crouch, Satellite Ensemble, Ye Ye, and James Joshua Otto, all published under a CC license and available on the Free Music Archive. This podcast is published under a CC BYSA 4.0 international license and edited by me. Until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Thanks for listening. <laughs>